and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that hasn't always been a psychologist. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the secretly dirty of the MCU. <laughs> so listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Luke Cage, season one, episodes three to five. All right. As you can imagine, a-holes, as you have just (laughs) recently sat through the Interminable Origin episode, we're going to talk about the 616 origin of Luke Cage. And I'm going to lay it on the line, Lonnie. I'm a little salty about the differences. (laughs) I love it when you're salty, so this would be great. Well... I mean, look, you and I discussed beforehand, we are going to spend some time talking about how this show needed to fix some narrative things. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, the comic did most of it better, way fucking better in a lot of cases. Oh, my God. I know. I know. So so I am going to leave some details out of this due to future unpleasant surprises in this (laughs) series. I'm just being honest. I'm just being Mm -hmm. honest. But. Broadly and overall, here is the 616 origin of Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Born on the mean streets of Harlem, Carl Lucas was one bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Carl. He was <laughs> the baddest mother, though. Uh, the baddest <laughs> mother that ever threw down on the Harlem streets with fists. Mm-hmm. Nobody could beat him. But things went bad when he was framed with a whole bunch of heroin in his apartment. And so Carl went up the river. Who framed him? Why was he framed? I can't talk about it yet. It's for later. It's part of the unpleasant (laughs) surprises. We'll get to it. I just, it doesn't actually have anything to do with the comic book, but I don't want to give anything away. I'm just saying. All right. Mm -hmm. As an angry, young, and falsely accused black man in the prison system, you can imagine that Carl got into all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. Fights, arguments with guards, and even several escape attempts finally got him sent to Seagate Prison just off the coast of Georgia. There he ran afoul of fellow inmates Shades and Comanche, as well as Captain of the Guard, Rackham. Mm-hmm. Now, very little of this impacts this show at all. I mean, Shades <laughs> is black. For one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like not just kind of black, but like really 1970s black, you know, because, <laughs> oh, again, this is all written by a bunch of white dudes. So uh, mm-hmm. that yes. is not about mm-hmm. my view of the world, friends. That's about yes. pop culture in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Now, we see quickly that Lucas is not a joiner as he tells Shades and Comanche where they can stick it when they try to start a new prison gang with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucas also takes quite a beating when he similarly tells Rackham where to go and how to get there. But the new warden shows up, (laughs) saves Lucas's life, lets him beat the hell out of the guard that was giving him the beating, and then demotes Rackham. The warden has some thoughts on how to run a prison, (laughs) y'all. Okay. (laughs) Along the way, Lucas is noticed by Dr. Noah Burstein. Burstein saw an extremely healthy young man who might survive his super soldier experiments later revealed to be Weapon 4 of the Weapon Plus program. You may be familiar with this, what with the fact that Captain America was Weapon 1, and Wolverine Uh is very famously Weapon X, also known as 10. 
<laughs> the doctor listens to Lucas's tale of being framed and believes it. Aww. Right? Yeah, seems like a good dude. And then offers yeah. Lucas a chance at early parole by taking part in the experiments. Mm-hmm. Now, at first, Lucas says no. But later that night, when Rackham comes by and threatens him, Lucas realizes he needed to take the chance of getting out that was in front of him. Because he was mm-hmm. always going to be under the thumb of the man if he was in prison. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once Lucas goes into the chemical bath that would enhance his cellular regeneration, Rackham came in to get his revenge. Lucas barely survived the sabotage. And when he came out of the bath, slapped Rackham down. <laughs> Unfortunately, he did not realize that he had super strength and he hit him like a sack of hammers. Oh, man. Nearly <laughs> killing him. Oh, my God. Worried that he'd be blamed for all this, Lucas punched the wall in anger. And when the wall broke and he didn't, Lucas had an idea. (laughs) He smashed through the wall, took a hail of bullets as he ran across the yard and dove into the water. Mm -hmm. Lucas survived with only bruises to show for the bullet impacts and hid out until the guards found his shirt riddled with holes. They declared him dead and his body lost at sea. Lucas made his way to shore and slowly but surely back to Harlem. Once back in Harlem, Lucas stopped a mugging and received a cash reward for his trouble. Getting an idea, he bought himself a quote-unquote superhero costume (laughs) consisting of a tiara, a yellow silk shirt, and a chain belt. Wait, 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 a tiara? Oh, you're goddamn right. I don't know why. (laughs) Like a... Like a a glittery princess crown? No, more like a very utilitarian, but nevertheless, imagine Wonder Woman, but bigger, silver, no stars, no decorations. Just, you actually saw an example of this in this show when they made fun of his superhero costume, which also made me salty. Holy shit. All right, we'll get to that when we get to that. In the flashback episode, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. It's fine. Okay. So, yes, mm-hmm. so he makes himself a superhero, air quotes. I mean, yes. actually, it is a costume, and I like it. It's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. what's up? What's up, you jive turkeys? Check out oh, my yellow no. silk no, shirt no. opened to the navel, you know? <laughs> no, no. Is that the kind of dialogue they gave him in the 70s? Sister? You bet your sweet oh, ass it was. No. Oh god, and I'm, I'm still just, doing can it. Can we just can we just apologize to everybody listening to this podcast? Okay, I mean, I guess. I guess that's fair. <laughs> I apologize, friends. If you didn't know what really bad jive dialogue sounded How like, you would think bad. that I was being an asshole. I'm not. I'm pointing out that these other guys were assholes. <laughs> All right, I just want it made clear. No. I don't want to offend anybody who's listening to this podcast. It's terrible. No, I, yes, you you have saved me from possible mm-hmm. embarrassment, and I appreciate okay. it. <laughs> Friends, I am being very sarcastic by using yeah, okay. all, I mean, I mentioned this before when we talked about him, that he just has a lot of like, I mean, if I were charitable, oh, I would call man. it super jive, but it's more like, we don't really know what jive sounds like, so we're just going to take what little bit we know and turn that shit to 11. That'll work, right? Oh, my God. Oh, God, it hurts. It just, it hurts. Well, that's just because you're a jive sucker. (laughs) 
All right, all right. I will accept that. Continue. <laughs> As you were, soldier. Now, uh, he also took this money, paid up his rent for a few weeks, and then printed up business cards using his new assumed name. Part mm-hmm. of the old name combined with what he most remembered from prison. He was now Luke Cage, hero for hire. All right. Okay, that's basically it. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know there's not a bunch of like craziness in there, and most of that makes it into the show, but also in a really mm-hmm. stupid, muddled way, because I'm about to yeah. do the various bullet points of way that the comics did it better so that the table okay. is set for us to discuss mm-hmm. this as we go. Yes. First and foremost, Luke is always and always will be centered on Harlem. He's from Harlem. He goes back to Harlem. He has an investment mm-hmm. in Harlem because he fucking grew up in Harlem. And decide, and <laughs> right. he started out as a bad dude in Harlem, decided to not be a bad dude, got in trouble anyway, went back to Harlem and was like, that's it. I'm going to help Harlem with my superpowers for money. Mm-hmm. The minute he comes home, he has a stake in the neighborhood. We may yeah. have mentioned that this is a problem in this show. <laughs> and will remain so through these episodes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. We already know that he's in the joint and that it's a frame up in the comics. Like yeah. right away, that's part of the story. They introduce Dr. Burstein as soon as they can so that he can tell Dr. Burstein the story and then we can know, oh, he's actually a good dude. He does not right. deserve to be in prison. But no. Mm-hmm. Here on the show, we're going to do an entire flashback episode and still let the fact that he was framed be fucking secret squirrel bullshit. I'm not into it. (laughs) The escape in the comics also makes a lot more sense with Carl Lucas being declared officially dead. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to worry about being found out or tracked down. Right. Which means we can actually focus on the goddamn present which seems to be something of a problem for this show also. That's all I got right now, but yes. I'm reasonably certain that I will come up with more ways that the comic book did it better. And again, this is a bunch of white dudes writing a black character badly, and they still yeah. pull it together into a tighter package in many ways other than the jive talk. You know, they do yeah. it better. Mm-hmm. So, uh Yeah. Ugh. And it's so weird because he was so good in Jessica Jones. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and say this now. He was fantastic in Jessica Jones, but I do not feel like his introduction in that show is doing him any favors in his own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can we can get into the details of that cuz I agree with you. He was so good on JJ, but then you come into mm-hmm. this and you're like, "Oh, that's not really helping you because they had to leave <laughs> you in a holding pattern." Yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of a holding pattern, I guess we should go ahead and get into the summaries. In Who's Gonna Take the Weight, Luke decides to hit Cottonmouth where it hurts. His money, honey. That's for Dr. Doom, remember, from last episode. (laughs) I'm still doing that weird jive talk. I'm just saying it's not my choice. Ah, he hits all of Cottonmouth's money hideouts, takes the money, and walks out with his clothes full of bullet holes. Detective Misty Knight is overly suspicious of Luke's connection to everything that's been going on, but not nearly suspicious enough of her partner, Scarf, who sneaks out to kill Chico for his real boss, Cottonmouth. Reveal! (laughs) Luke leaves most of Cottonmouth's money to the cops to lock up, but takes some to give to Connie. As he's eating dinner, Cottonmouth takes a rocket launcher and blows up the building. Way to overreact, yo! <laughs> Who's Gonna Take the Weight was written by Matt Owens and directed by Guillermo Navarro. 
in Step in the Arena, as Luke tries to get Connie and himself out of the rubble that used to be Genghis Connie's, we see the flashbacks of how Luke became bulletproof in the first place by fighting for a guard with an underground game going on. When he refuses to fight, the guard's bullies, one of which is Shades, beat him within an inch of his life, and Reva, the prison psychologist with a lot of secrets, asks the doctor doing experiments on the prisoners to save Luke's life. The doctor turns the machine up to 11, and when Luke wakes up, he punches his way out of the building with his fists. In the now, Luke pulls the same move, busting through the collapsed building with his fists, and he gets Connie out. Misty Knight gives him a severe side-eye. Step Into the Arena was written by Charles Murray and directed by Vincenzo Natale. In Just to Get a Rep, it's the day of Pop's funeral. Cottonmouth sends his goons out to rustle up some money from the neighborhood, telling everyone that if they've got a problem with it, see Luke Cage. Well, some of them do have problems, and Luke confronts Cottonmouth directly, taking out his guys. Shades recognizes Luke, and it doesn't matter at all, and Luke tells Cottonmouth to get out of Harlem. Yes, Claire Temple! Yay! Previously seen and beloved in Daredevil and Jessica Jones, comes back to the neighborhood after being run out of her job. Misty hears that internal affairs is on to scarf, but doesn't believe he's bad. Oopsie. At the memorial, <laughs> Luke steps up to say a few words and declares open war on Cottonmouth. To paraphrase, the shit stops now, asshole, or something to that effect. Yeah, he really should have said like, you know, the shit stops here, jive turkey. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> Just to Get a Rep was written by Jason Horwitz and directed by Mark Jobst. All right. So, Joshua, here we are. We have these three episodes of Luke Cage, and there is stuff in here that I think is really good. I am very, very pleased to see Claire. Claire is just a breath of fresh air. Yeah, she really is. I mean, um, I also hate to break it to you. She's also going to be part of the stuff that gets fucked up on the back end. But, you know, we'll get to Ugh. it. I'm really yeah. sorry. I'm well, really sorry. It's nice to see her at any rate. And there is some good stuff, I think, that's going on in these episodes. I mean, for one, in the first couple of episodes, you know, Luke's investment like how like the thing with a with a protagonist is that the protagonist should be our pov character they should have the most at stake and their pursuit of a goal should provide the motive force for the story right here we are in episode three where we're just starting to get to where it's personal for luke so at least there's that but he is not personally connected with harlem with this neighborhood not like daredevil you know like daredevil was about that that place that neighborhood about hell's kitchen you know and so here we are with luke and we should have that personal investment but we don't really have it and then we stop all of this so that we can go and do this origin story which i'm not sure necessarily adds a whole lot except it brings in reva so we understand his relationship with reva but we already knew she was his wife and he loved her you know so I don't know. I, I'm I'm really kind of torn on this whole thing because it it feels like we're we're doing things better. Although episode three really should have been episode two. Pop should have died at the end of episode one. One hundred percent. We should have had episode two come in with Luke coming, you know, going after Cottonmouth because he's so kind of passive in the first couple of episodes, and it really is not a great way to start your story. 
You know, like if Luke, if in the first episode, Luke was already pissed at Cottonmouth because Cottonmouth was doing things to Harlem and Harlem was his freaking neighborhood, not Reva's, his. This was his personal investment. And then at the end, because Pop died, that's when he gets into it. That's when he steps up and is like, no, this will not stand. Right. I think then you could feel the momentum of the story a little bit better. But here it moves so slow. And when we finally get there, it's just too late. I don't know. What did you think? Well, I mean, I kind of tipped my hand here when I pointed out that the comic books did it better. Um, and yeah. Now, now, clearly, I am a lover of the form and media of comic books, mm-hmm. both in general and specifically in superhero. But I can yeah. also usually say that these origin stories and the the movies or the TV shows that get made out of the origins are usually better yeah. because – we have what I think TV tropes calls continuity distillation, right? Like we have all mm-hmm. this stuff floating around. We distill it down to the best version and serve it up, right. you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means like an update like you get with uh, with Iron Man, you know. We're no longer mm-hmm. messing around in Vietnam and we're no longer like, right. yeah, kill not Americans, high five, you know. Instead, right. it's the desert and it's bad that mm-hmm. he's selling, mm-hmm. with, you know, that kind of stuff. But here they right. just fucked it up entirely because – Luke doesn't care about Harlem. Like, even when he starts to care about Harlem, he specifically says over and over, I don't really care about Harlem. And I'm like, you're still fucking this up, you guys. You know, (laughs) he has to care about this. It can't just be pop all the time, you know. Yeah. And to be real, to be real, in a lot of ways, the story of Luke Cage in the comics is co-opted. Like, the backstory is co-opted by Mm -hmm. pop. The started out as a... Real bad street thug, like doing all the worst stuff, realizing that that was hurting people and his neighborhood Mm -hmm. and stopping, you know, Mm -hmm. that's Luke in the comics. Yeah. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's yeah. And and I'll say one last thing on the origin thing. I know that not everybody knows how people get their superpowers and that that is a thing that the viewing audience cares a lot about. Right. Mm hmm. I feel like we would be better off entirely if they did a lot of this stuff like the comic books tended to do, where your very first story is the origin story, and then you get to the damn point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even if we had done this origin episode in the first episode, like as episode one, even if it was disconnected mm-hmm. from the majority of the rest of the narrative, that's still better. Like, get it out of the way. Give the people what they want and then tell the yeah. damn story. What do you think about that? I think it's better than this, but honestly, like, there's not that much to the origin story that needs that much explanation. Like, if we have him, like, you know, because the thing is, like, I'm not a big fan of flashbacks generally. Mm -hmm. Like, when you cut into the way that we do with this, when we cut into, you know, what's happening in the now to show us this big, long, extended, traditionally scened, you know, flashback story, Generally, it doesn't work. Generally, it interrupts the flow of the narrative in the moment. Um, One of the things that I could have absolutely worked with, because all we really need to know is that Luke was in prison. There was some experimentation. You know, he met Reva. Right. But the thing is, you can do that like in PTSD moments, like in PTSD moments, you relive the trauma in the now, like the way that they did with Jessica Jones. Right. They did really, really well with Jessica Jones. You know, we just have these momentary flashes, just enough to give a sense of what it was that had happened, you know. 
And I think that you could have done that with Luke without over explaining everything. You know, like we go back and we do this big extended thing. Do the Jessica Jones thing. Do the flashback and the PTSD in the moment. You know, bring that in. I think it would have been really good and we wouldn't have wasted so much of our precious time on all of that stuff. You know, and this whole episode in which in the now he's stuck, you know, under rubble with Connie not really doing anything like there wasn't much happening in that episode. No, you know, it's just nothing. we got the we got the punching through walls and then the punching through walls. And I just don't feel like those narratively. It broke up your narrative flow. It didn't really work that well. I think that if that had been the first episode of the season, it would have bored the hell out of everyone and nobody would have been interested at all. Um so I think that, like, you know, doing it the way that Jessica Jones did it, weaving in the PTSD to the now, uh, connecting it to the now. He sees shades and he has that PTSD moment and we see him really struggling with that. Like, that's something you could have done all of that in the first episode. We would have been like, oh, hey, you know, we've watched a Marvel show or two. Super Soldier, <laughs> did you say? I get it. I got it. We're good. I know what's going on here. I, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. really agree with that. They could have just really cruised past all this. Was in prison, was experimented on, broke the hell out as soon as I could. It's very easy. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to actually agree and disagree with your use of Jessica Jones as a, a, a good example, uh, mm-hmm. because you're right. At the beginning of her show, they did a yes. really great job of that. Um, and mm-hmm. they could have done that here because we were really dealing with incarceration very head on yeah. at the beginning with pop talking mm-hmm. about the pacing and stuff like that. You yeah. really could have done that here. Let's not give too much credit to Jessica Jones as that is a horse that they flog to death and beyond <laughs> as that Fair show enough. progresses. And I mean, Fair again, enough. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. They flog it more in season two. So, Oh no. Season two is going to be a thing. We'll get there. It's right. quite a ride. It's quite a ride. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they could have done it not at all. They could have done it better. Mm -hmm. They could have just done it and got it out of the way. But even if they had done it and got it out of the way, that's not going to solve the problem that Luke does not give a shit about Harlem. And that is a fundamental problem with this series. That is the biggest problem. Your protagonist has to be deeply, deeply invested. And he's really not. And everything he does is about keeping himself kind of separate. You know, like yes. he doesn't tell Pop about his background. He doesn't tell anybody what's going on with him. Um, you know, and he's got this whole thing. We've got this whole thing about like he's afraid of being discovered and he has to be paid under the table and he's a questionable guy. And like, what is all that doing? I don't even know if that's doing anything. I understand that that in some ways does put put like a big, you know, amount of like his his well-being at stake because if he gets discovered, then, you know, he's going back to jail or whatever, you know, um, but I don't I think that if what's at stake is the city, is this neighborhood, is his place, is, you know, avenging pop like that idea that he could go back to jail really isn't anchored in this particular conflict because Cottonmouth wasn't part of that. That wasn't part of anything that's going on here. He wasn't even from Harlem in the TV show. He's not even from Harlem. He should be from Harlem. Yes. He should be invested. This should be his fucking neighborhood. He should have a history with anybody. It should be Cottonmouth. You know, like yeah. all of this stuff is not is not personal to this 
conflict. So we need to do that. We're not even in his POV most of the time. We're spending so much time. Like, I feel like this is Cottonmouth's show. We're spending so much time in his POV and what he's got at stake and what he's fighting for. And he's the one who's doing all the stuff that's providing the motive force for the story. And that is what a protagonist is. And I think that we're getting into a place where we're getting real close to making Luke not the protagonist of his show. Yes, that's very true. That is really a mm-hmm. problem. And I mean, just, I mean, again, we're, I don't want to go too far fixing this, but they are mm-hmm. really enamored with Cottonmouth, which is great because he's yeah. very good. Well, and he's worth it. He's, yeah. yeah. And if he were the. So bring him in more, make it more personal, yes. make them, give them a history. Let, you let know? Luke, let teenage Luke mm-hmm. be one of the kids that Pop saved, you know, 20 years yeah. ago or whatever. And be framed by Cottonmouth. Went to jail because of Cottonmouth. Yes. Like tie. And I mean, and a thing that they did in the comic books, they don't make a huge deal out of it, uh, but you you would have to make a little bit of a deal out of it here, Mm -hmm. um, is that he comes back not looking like like a completely different person, but he's also like literally taller and bigger. Right, you know? sure, and, sure. And it well, changes I mean, look at Captain America, face. look at Steve yes, Rogers. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it really changes the way that he is shaped so that you could mm-hmm. still have like teenage Reva and teenage Misty floating around yeah. who might not necessarily, mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted to tie Reva because she's Pop's daughter or sure, something, sure. you know. One of his kids, like he has, I think, one actual kid, but like all of the kids in the neighborhood were his kids, you know? Yeah, I I felt like there was a blood thing with Reva, but it it doesn't really, it's better if you don't, right? If Luke and Reva and Misty are all some of his kids, and when he comes back as Luke, and they, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't really recognize him, or he confides in Reva, but Misty does. I mean, there's, and Misty's always like, who is that guy? There's stuff you can do with that. Yes. And then he cares Mm -hmm. right from jump, both about Harlem, but also about hiding, but also about fucking up Cottonmouth shit, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like if he was trying to stop Cottonmouth from doing something bad and then Cottonmouth like framed him to yeah. get him out of the way. And then he comes back and Cottonmouth is still pulling this shit in this neighborhood. Yeah, And, and no. has yeah, been absolutely. successful at it. Like isn't just pulling yeah. it, but has like become the guy, you know. And then kills Pop. Fuck yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, so, I mean, all of that stuff is stuff that Luke, we should have had with Luke and tightened up that narrative so that we are getting to that point at the end of the first episode. Yes. That we've got all of that. And then Luke starts going out and fucking up cotton mouse shit. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Although the one thing, the one thing that I did not like is that he got that beautiful suit, <laughs> that beautiful suit. And then he let them shoot holes in that beautiful suit, and he looked so good. And I was like, you couldn't just put it. You didn't have a T-shirt in your car. Okay, okay, okay. Like, you couldn't, you know. I yeah. know, and I'm with you, right? And we are going to talk a little <laughs> bit about Dapper Dan at the end of the episode, right? But, <laughs> but what I really liked about it is how carefully he took off the suit coat every time. He did take off the coat. And, set and it then he left the shirt on underneath because, with all the bullet holes while he went to the funeral. <laughs> because he could cover it up. All the bullet holes were right. covered with the suit coat. I was like. It's pretty badass. Oh, I kind of like still, that, actually. That feels like a real Luke Cage moment. Like, I'm real mad about this shirt, but if you shoot a hole in this suit jacket, I'm going to have to murder you. So let me take it off a minute. Let me take off the suit yeah. jacket. It's kind of an, I don't know. Even the shooting up the shirt and the tie. I was like, no. No, it's too beautiful. But anyway, that was just that was just my moment because no, he looks so good I, in that suit. I feel you. I feel you. But I also kind of mm-hmm. really like it as a Luke Cage moment where it's like, son, you better wait till I take off this suit coat before you start shit with me. 
You better just wait. Yeah. I like, like, yeah. no, obviously he never says that, but I like that as like a subtext and undercurrent because it's the first thing mm-hmm. he does when he comes into the Harlem paradise. He's like, oh, we better get down there and mess him up. And he's just down there carefully taking <laughs> off his coat, smoothing it, <laughs> hanging it <laughs> over the stool and then takes like five <laughs> steps away from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. I it is like pretty that. Cool. It is pretty so, cool. Yeah. It's pretty badass. But yeah, it's, it's all, there's so much here. That could have been really, really good and just kind of missed the mark narratively. And it is a little frustrating because I love Mike Coulter as yeah. Luke Cage. I love Mahershala Ali. I think he's fantastic. Um, I love Simone Mystic as Misty. Yeah. I love all of these people. They're just like all amazing. There's so much incredibly good stuff going on here. And it feels like such a waste because there's so much great material that that could be worked with had somebody gone through and done like a narrative edit, you know, to make it all like work narratively and understanding how that how that goes. Um, but there was some stuff like I didn't realize the psychologist in the previous in the first two episodes when he had those flashbacks. I didn't realize that was Reva. Did you know that was Reva? I, I did recognize her because um, mm-hmm. I watched these as they were coming out. So I had, you know, yeah. not. It had not been that long since I saw Jessica Jones at the time. And I feel like Reva is a good opportunity for me to say my last piece on the origin in terms of Jessica Jones, you know? Yeah. Because that's Mm -hmm. the real reason they can't do all this shit with Luke is because we needed him Mm -hmm. to be in some kind of holding place where he could be important to Jessica's story but not progress or even deal with his own, you know? Mm -hmm. To the point where Mm -hmm. Reva is more tied into Jessica's stuff in a lot of ways than yeah. she is to Luke's and, yeah. and and the fact that you did not recognize her, did not realize that she was going to be narratively significant to Luke right away, even though you knew who she right. was, I think is kind of like a red flag, right? That they're not doing yeah. stuff great. Well, I don't know if it was the glasses. They put glasses on her and I just didn't she put her hair up, put glasses on her. And I didn't recognize her. It's one of those like it's like a Clark Kent That's thing. That's right. Like, oh, no. Everybody that wants Superman. to talk shit about the glasses like that wouldn't work I... on 85 percent of humanity. <laughs> it worked on me. The glasses uh-huh. and the hair up worked on me. I did not recognize her. Um, but I absolutely love that she was part of that, that she was the psychologist. And here's the thing. When I saw Reva, I was like, so help me fucking God, if they do something with her, like, you know, if they fridge her We've or have already her get seen hurt her murdered, or there's something God's like sake. that. already seen her murdered, for God's sake. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know? So, yeah, so, like, that whole thing, I was like, okay, if she isn't dirty, I'm going to be so angry. <laughs> I'm like, if she's not dirty and in on all the experiments, because yeah. when she's like, no, there are absolutely no experiments. I give you my word, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, tell me she's dirty. So I absolutely loved both that she was involved in that stuff, that she lied to all of them, that there's some kind of like gritty reality to her that yeah. I really, really like. She's not this perfect, innocent, you know, woman on a pedestal that he would hold up and like forever, you know, like she's she's got some issues she's lying she's putting you know prisoners or at least involved in something where prisoners are getting experimented on mm-hmm. you know that ain't great and i freaking love it so i thought that that was great i also love this moment with her where she says you haven't always been a convict i haven't always been a psychologist and i was like ooh. so Total i actually round. really like her yes yeah no i do too and i also really buy her as kind of an mm-hmm. accidental lifeline to Luke like right. she's just doing mm-hmm. her job and he is such an like uncrackable nut that she kind of focuses on him and in the process 
you know, make some progress. But and in fact, her mm-hmm. her saying, oh, yeah, everybody says they're framed. And then he won't meet her eyes. And she's like, oh, you really were, though. Like that was yeah. good stuff. That is good. stuff. It was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I don't like the whole flashback thing, I did appreciate the Reva stuff. I think that we could have done it quicker and more elegantly <laughs> as, uh, you know, little, little flashbacks within the first episode. That would have been great. Um, but still, like, I, I like it. And I liked that ending scene with the two of them. Because, of course, you know me and identity stories, yes. right? You know, yes. I'm a sucker for identity stories, which is part of the reason why I love working with all these superhero stories. But at the end, when she's like, well, what is your name going to be? You know, she erases him. You know, what is your name going to be? Who are you? And he explains the meaning behind Luke Cage and, like, why he's choosing that specific name. And I thought that it was really cool. I liked it. I love it. Okay, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to be mad about it also because he (laughs) then proceeds to spend, what, a decade of not freeing prisoners and not doing Mm -hmm. all the things that he said from that passage. Like, he does not bring good news to the poor or to the imprisoned. He doesn't do any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. We have to wait 10 years and it's 10 years of him hiding out before he does it. I mean, again, it feels like there's some identity stuff going on there that then we're just supposed to reach over and hit pause. Have him run mm-hmm. a bar for a while, help right. Jessica, run to Harlem. Okay, pause off. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I love yeah. that adoption of that identity. Um, and it's much yeah. better than, I'm just going to use part of my old name, which was the comic book thing. Because uh, right. he was Carl mm-hmm. Lucas and then he's going to be Luke Cage. And I, I, I liked mm-hmm. the, I'm going to take the part that I remember most about prison. I like that. Mm-hmm. But I like mm-hmm. this bit with, Quoting from Luke, that is a really, I mean, that's just a really significant passage. And if I'm honest, it's a pretty significant passage to me personally. So I really like that. But then Mm -hmm. we do nothing with it for literally 10 years. And I don't love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And it's also it's all because of his, you know, his space in the Jessica Jones story, you know, but I don't I don't see why we couldn't have had a little something in Jessica Jones where he was doing something you know, where he was up to his own shit, you know. Um, but anyway, this is where we are now. I, so yes, we're just going to. I'm probably done complaining about it. Probably. It's it's frustrating. From a narrative standpoint, it's very frustrating. And, um, and it's particularly frustrating to me because of how much I love the aesthetic and the acting. Yeah. In this yeah. show. That it's yeah. just really upsetting to me that I'm like. Why would you bring this cast it together? Been so much better. Right. Yeah. Why would you make it look this good and sound this good and everybody speak this well? Like, why would you create this whole world and all these awesome characters and then not give them a story to be in? Yeah, exactly. You know, like the the narrative isn't worthy of everything else, like all the other talent in this yes. show. Yes. Which that's... is absolutely tremendous, you know? And um, so, I mean, I love so much about the show um the structure you know is bothering me a little (laughs) bit we've got a fractured tease at the beginning of episode Uh. three which does not please me a cliffhanger at the end of episode three which does not please me episode four is pretty much nothing but flashback and origin story all of that stuff drives me crazy so by the end of episode four you're four episodes in and you're kind of like this is a car that will not start you know (laughs) we've all had them it's a winter day you're pumping that gas (laughs) 
<laughs> and then the engine floods and it's just yeah so it's it's narratively borked like all of it but there are really good things like I love when he goes in and confronts you know Cottonmouth um, I love that he's you know he's stealing all this money back you right. know and he's just taking everything he's just fucking up Cottonmouth's shit but and he doesn't the, care and I love it I like his plan too like he does take mm-hmm. money because he needs money for pops like mm-hmm. he needs it to mm-hmm. rebuild pops but he mostly just wants it off the street so he just leaves it he for just the gives cops. it back to the cops so mm-hmm. great I, re- yeah. I love it man I love like, it that is, it's fantastic that is a pragmatic sort of mm-hmm. criminal but not entirely criminal approach which is very on brand for Luke Cage I like it a lot okay speaking of criminal let's talk about Misty who is so good <laughs> And criminally underused, basically her entire existence in these episodes is just giving Luke Cage the side eye. Like, that is most of it. And having these lovely interactions with Scarf, who turns out to be freaking dirty, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, fine. We have this whole lovely interaction with him and Misty, where he's talking about her sleeping with Luke, and he's not slut-shaming her, and it's just fun banter back and forth between the two of them, and I love that whole thing, and then he goes off and kills Chico, and I'm like, god damn it. You know, I didn't like him, and then I started to like him, and now he's dirty, and whatever, you know? I mean, I kind of liked him because I liked Mm-hmm. That Misty liked him. You know, I really, as yeah. you're saying, like, I really liked their dynamic and stuff. And mm-hmm. and so it really was the first time I saw it, a little bit of a gut punch when he turned out. He bought Chico dinner before I murdering know. him. I was like, you are a unique you individual. You son of a bitch. Unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. not, it's not, en- it's not enough. It, like... We want Misty to be this amazing detective, and maybe if they had written it so that she was so distracted by the Luke Cage stuff that she didn't see a lot of the Scarf stuff, that could have been interesting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But instead, she's I mean, just it's wandering just, it's around weird. while he's an asshole. She's just wandering around, giving Luke the side eye, completely not picking up on Scarf being dirty. Like, all of this stuff, it just it feels like such a waste of her because she is wonderful like I loved her in the first couple of episodes and everything she does is great but they don't give her anything good yeah and she's amazing yeah. don't waste that character what are you doing you know you're having her just sitting there treading water you know while all this stuff is going on partially because you have to keep her you know kind of like rolling around the goldfish bowl while you're doing all of this nonsense that you should have done in the first episode and gotten it out of the way so all of that to say, uh, Misty's horribly underused, and she's still wonderful, but it's just, it's not good. Um, Claire, um, I love Claire beating the shit out of the guy who stole her purse. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things. I love that. I love Claire's mom. I love Claire and mm-hmm. her mom together. I love mm-hmm. every single bit. What were you thinking? I was thinking I wanted my bag back. I like, Man. <laughs> And then is like, mom, don't tell me like you wouldn't chase him down and beat the three shades of shit out of him yourself. I just, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, ooh, oh, welcome. Welcome back, Claire Temple. We missed you. I know. I know. I missed her so much. And it was really, really wonderful to have her there. Um, Cottonmouth, I love. I mean, he's the bad guy. He seems to be our, 
you know, protagonist. I'm not going to lie. It shouldn't be that way. But he kind of is. Like, the thing is, a protagonist and a hero are not necessarily the same thing. Right. Protagonist has three things. Like I said, POV, motive force, most at stake. Those are the things that define the protagonist. Your protagonist can be a bad guy. It's about whose story are we telling here? And I feel very much like we are telling Cottonmouth story. I don't think, I don't know if you, like, give us actual on-screen minutes I'm not convinced the Cottonmouth doesn't have more and his story doesn't have more than Luke does. Oh, you know? well, I mean, clearly, as we've been discussing, it has more narrative weight, like on its own. It has absolutely more narrative weight. He's more invested. He's, you know, he's there. He's going to lose everything like he has the most at stake so when we're talking about like you know who the protagonist is that's not necessarily who the good guy is yeah yeah it's who the narrative what the narrative role is in the story and i think cottonmouth almost has it now i can understand why people would be confused about that in an ostensibly superhero show right because it's a superhero show Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be good guys but the nice thing with and we saw this again also in jessica jones like when we did follow Mm -hmm. kilgrave around that was all very Mm -hmm. useful time for the most part Heart, you know, mm-hmm. and was giving us an idea of the context that Jessica was operating in, like the stakes of the whole right. thing. Right. And it mm-hmm. is important that Cottonmouth be having troubles that are at on some level caused by Luke, right? I like that oh, part. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. yeah, the it's like the seesaw is all tilted towards him. You can't even get the thing to move. And that's a we weird choice. We spend more time with him and his cousin Mariah. Talking about Mom Abel, like we we spend all this time with them yeah, yeah. and their stuff and their stuff that's going on. Like I don't know, it's just he's he honestly I think has more narrative weight in the whole story. I like him as a villain, but I'm completely uninterested in Mariah. And the thing is, Mariah is being played by Alfred Woodard. If you are failing to make Alfred Woodard interesting, you are doing your shit wrong. Uh, I also have really bad news about the back half of this series. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not spoiling. I know. So I guess we'll just leave that there. I'm just going to let that hang right there. And let me point out again that this is a place where mm-hmm. I, I actually am a little bit invested in Mariah, but I but I think it's because I'm doing their work for them. Because you, cause you mm-hmm. because could you imagine a space where Pop was like the... Um, you know, the be part of the community, be an example as a bulletproof black mm-hmm. man, go out and do the thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Luke was like, no, this is where I belong, like street level, you know, trying to stay out of sight, not going back to prison. Mm-hmm. And then flip that with Mariah in Pop's role and Cottonmouth in Luke's role. Oh, yeah. And then Luke mm-hmm. has to kind of mm-hmm. be both after he loses Pop. And yeah. that's what I mean. So I may I may be yeah. doing some of the work for them is why and I do mm-hmm. really like her interaction with Cottonmouth. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. um, sort of dramatization of real world tension, you know, respectability mm-hmm. politics and things like that mixed up into their interactions. That's really interesting. Uh, so I yeah, but it's the same scene every time. That's fair. It's yeah. the same scene. Well, that's it's hard to argue with, like, Lonnie. Good I job. I disapprove of the way that you're doing things, and Cottonmouth being like, "This is the way I do shit," and she's like, "I disapprove of the way that you're doing things," and he's like, "This is the way I do shit." Still gonna take that money though. Exactly. Like so, it just it feels like it's the same scene over and over and over again. I mean, I'm interested in all of that, but just not if you're look if you have Alfrey Woodard 
on the screen and I'm bored, you're doing shit wrong. That's agreed. It's just, yeah. <laughs> something's going wrong. Um, it was very fun to see Sonia Son as uh, Captain Betty Audrey. Sonia Son played uh, Kima Greggs in The Wire, so it was really fun to kind of see her uh, showing up here, um, even though she was only there for the briefest of moments. Um, but I hear she's going to be around a little bit more, so that's good. Um, and uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I enjoyed these episodes, I think, as much as I was going to enjoy them. So like what was good was good enough that it, it kept me interested and I wanted to see more. I was just so disappointed because there's so many like basic narrative things that had they been had somebody been able to go through these episodes and just move stuff around and cut some stuff out. I think they would have been so much tighter, so much better, uh, so much more interesting. And so it's just a little bit disappointing because everything else was so incredibly good. Now, I. I mean, obviously, I agree. I have, mm-hmm. I have gone on. So yeah, it. And I mean, <laughs> I again, I'm not spoiling anything, but it's not going to improve on that front. So, <laughs> well, I have to say though, bring the motherfucking ruckus, right? Um, yes. So here's the thing. I know that song. Like you're always talking about Wu Tang, right? And I know, I know, I should listen to Wu Tang. I know I should. <laughs> well, I, I just don't know. haven't. Okay, cards okay. on the table. I don't know if you should. But I want you to. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to draw that line right now. Um, and uh, the yeah. reason, friends at home listening, that Lonnie is bringing this up is because I was texting her going, well, you're going to listen to some Wu-Tang in these episodes, whether you like it or not. And then she's like, I know this one. Ha ha. And I'm like, how? I know that song. Fucking hell, though. It's- I don't know. It's it was I t- I'm telling you, like, I have it in my head and I know it was in a movie or a TV show. It was like in the background of something that I saw because I know I know I've heard that song before, but I don't remember what it was in. But I, I want to say it was in some stupid ass, probably white boy comedy <laughs> where they take rap music and make fun of white boys listening to rap music. I feel like that may have been the context for it, but I honestly cannot remember. But when I heard the song, I was like, oh, my God. I know that song and see the thing is that like I like I I actually did go through I went into Spotify (laughs) I played some Wu-Tang which ones but my problem I I was playing from whatever the album was that bring the ruckus Sure, 36 chambers their first album right yes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes yes so I listened to a couple of those and I did like them but here's okay and this is the thing like I'm embarrassed to say it but it really comes down to this I, I, I get very uncomfortable when anybody uses the N-word. Like, I completely appreciate and I support the right of the people who are hurt by particular language to take it back, to reclaim it, to make it their own, and to use it however they see fit. I'm absolutely in that. However, words, when they're used over and over and over again, and we talked about this in the previous episode of Luke Cage, when they're used over and over and over again, they get charged with that usage and and there is such an association of violence and dehumanization um associated with just cruelty associated with that word that when i hear it it, like i actually like i physically hurt a little bit it's really weird and i know it's and i know like here i am this white girl what right do i have to be upset by the n-word you know but i just am it's hurt people who i love dearly and i've seen it hurt them and i I, when I hear it, it just bothers me and upsets me. And so while I completely support like the right and I and I want to like I enjoy the music of Wu-Tang like I really enjoyed it. 
I had to turn off after a while because I just it it just upset me and I couldn't listen to it. And I feel like such a wimp because, you know, here I am. I can't even listen to it in music. You know, everything, every the horrible stuff this word has done to people. And I can't even listen to it in music, but I can't. It's just it's too hard. No, you might be a more reasonable reaction. I mean, remember, <laughs> I kind of stumbled into hip hop when I was like a right. preteen. And by the mm-hmm. time I gangster rap came along, um, I was a teen, right? And mm-hmm. a white teen in semi-rural Oklahoma. So I was just like, right. I have definitely heard that word. I know I'm not supposed to use it, but I did not have like a wider <laughs> understanding on any level. Mm-hmm. So by the time I yeah. did get that, I was kind of inured to its use in music and could instead right. appreciate that reclamation project, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't right. know. And I it don't is know. reclamation. You yeah. may be a much more reasonable response than, than I, I am. I feel like a wimp. I feel like I'm a big wimp about it, but it's just the reality of my experience. Like I just, I, it, that, that word hurts radio me. when I hear it, it hurts me. Yeah. You know, maybe, Try maybe I just need edits. to do that. Although you do uh, like the word just... fuck. So I don't know. That might be hard I for you in a like different way. I do like the word fuck. I do. I like, I like bad language. I just don't like <laughs> dehumanizing, violently charged language that has blood in it. Like it's just, it's just, it's too much for me. So, um, so anyway, I did like though, I listened to a few songs as much as I could before I had to turn it off. And I really did think it was great. I mean, I really did. Uh, so my personal experience with Bring the Ruckus in Luke Cage was mm-hmm. that he puts his earbuds in and he starts playing it. And I'm sitting there watching it and I was like, bullshit. He's not playing. <laughs> that is very old. He is not playing that. And I went and Googled it and I discovered that he, that Luke Cage is the exact same. Well, I guess I shouldn't say Luke Cage. Luke Cage is quite a bit older than me because he's a fictional mm-hmm. character that was created before I was born. But Mike Holter and I are Mm -hmm. essentially the same age. And I was like, well, I take it back. You're more than welcome to be listening to your, I'm sorry to say, (laughs) classic hip hop while you fuck those dudes up. Awesome. Okay, well, good. I'm glad he's earned it. But that was my moment on the couch. And my wife was just like, "Mm mm-hmm, old as hell. That's what's up. (laughs) But look, you can still have abs because he does, and I did not appreciate that. Oh. That's not true. That's not true. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. It is definitely okay, a thing good. I thought, but she didn't say it. That oh. was, I did that to myself. <laughs> All right. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about the music from these episodes? Well, I got a little music and little books and a little culture, right? And mm-hmm. with the music All stuff, right. mm-hmm. I am mostly just going to drop names, okay? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot going on here in a lot of genres that yeah. I do listen to and don't, right? Mm-hmm. But they meant that we have the Wu-Tang Clan specifically show up, which are not actually from Harlem. They're from Staten Island, Um Mm-hmm. which is why I think you don't get a mention of them per se, but you do. Well, yet, asterisk, mm-hmm. kind of, sort of, spoiler, we will hear more from the Wu-Tang Clan or members thereof as we go. But okay. the rest of the mentions are people who are from Harlem. They mention ASAP Rocky and Big L, which are both hip-hop artists themselves that are from Harlem. Uh, Billy Strayhorn uh-huh. and Teddy Riley are very famous jazz musicians uh, that are from mm-hmm. Harlem. I mean, famous if you listen to jazz. Like, they are lo- legends, you know, um, in Harlem jazz. 
Uh, and then this is just a reference that I really appreciated. <laughs> when Luke comes around the yeah. corner and he's like, hey, plug one, plug two, I was like, oh, well, of course, because we are both ancient and crumbling to dust, you also listened to De La Soul. <laughs> Because that's a De La Soul reference. Okay. <laughs> so I, I only have one book from this set because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not staring longingly at Luke's bedside table. Uh, right. You know, much like Misty. Yeah, I, I went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am pretty sure, pretty sure that the book that Cottonmouth's henchman who was talking about benign neglect Mm -hmm. i am 80 percent sure that the book he was reading is can't stop won't stop a history of the Uh hip-hop generation by jeff chang i have read it it is fantastic um it does one of those things that like uh here's a history of a movement where it starts like 20 Mm -hmm. years before that movement and you're like okay i know you're gonna get to the point and i trust you but what the fuck are we doing in jamaica right now you know um (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that's the one because that does have a lot of discussion of um, benign neglect in Brooklyn where mm-hmm. hip hop was born, that that was a big part of uh, uh, I think it's Howard Moses was this this very mm-hmm. influential, never held an office, but very influential person in New York who built the uh, like a expressway right through Brooklyn, just cut mm-hmm. it in half. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm 80 percent sure that's what it is. And even if I'm wrong, it's got a lot to say on that subject and is a fantastic book in its own right. Awesome. All right. Real quick cultural touch points. Now, other than mm-hmm. Wu-Tang Clan, I do not understand. And maybe there isn't another reason. But Kung Fu movies have <laughs> become something important to African-American culture. And maybe it's only mm-hmm. because of Wu-Tang Clan. But uh, maybe you mm-hmm. probably listen to some songs that sample from Kung Fu movies, right? Um, Mystery of mm-hmm. Chess Boxing does that. Uh, um, they are pull and Ghostface Killer is a member of the Wu-Tang Clan and he pulls his name directly from a Kung Fu movie, you know. Um, uh-huh. So Kung and that is why the flashback to the prison and the, the fights, mm-hmm. even though they are not Kung Fu at all, have kind of yeah. Kung Fu movie style music and why they're having a conversation about Bruce Lee and Jet Li. Is to just mm-hmm. kind of fold that in as best they can. Uh, we also had Dapper Dan show up to give Luke the suit that mm-hmm. was partially shot up. And I, I'm just going to steal right from Wikipedia for this because I'm not an expert on him. I did re- I knew who he was. But yeah. uh, it's easier for me to just read you this bit from Wikipedia. Daniel Day, who was born August 8th, mm-hmm. 1944, known as Dapper Dan, is an American fashion designer and haberdasher from Harlem, New York. His influential store, Dapper Dan's Boutique, operated from 1982 to 1992 and is most associated with introducing high fashion to the world of hip hop. His clients over the years have been Eric B. and Rakim, Salt and Peppa, LL Cool J, and Jay Z. You almost certainly recognize some of those names. Kind of yes. a big deal for mm-hmm. that, that intersection of hip hop and fashion. So they also mentioned Percy Sutton, Percy Ellis Sutton. Mm-hmm. Born November 24th, 1920, died in December 26, 2009, was a prominent black American political and business leader. He was an activist in the civil rights movement and a lawyer. He was also a freedom writer and the legal representative for Malcolm X. He Uh was the highest ranking African-American elected official in New York City when he was the Manhattan Borough President from 1966 to 1977. Oh, wow. And he had the longest tenure at that position. Mm -hmm. He later became an entrepreneur whose investments included the New York Amsterdam News and the Apollo Theater in Harlem. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. And the last one that I'm going to point out is actually lots of 
ignorant fingers pointing back at me because um, <laughs> the big championship baseball ring that Luke has to collect for Aisha. Yeah. They mentioned the New York Nine. Now, I don't know a lot about baseball. Baseball mm-hmm. is not my sport of choice. Uh, but I did a bunch of Googling, mm-hmm. and the only New York Nine that I could find was a baseball club in the 1840s. So I suspect that that is not the one that they're talking right. about. <laughs> I kind of think that they're just generally alluding to Negro League teams that were in New York City. But even that timing doesn't really work out with the man yeah. we saw on screen who supposedly won the ring. Mm-hmm. So. Real talk. It's obviously a big deal, and maybe it's just an allusion to other things, but I can't figure it out, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> so if anyone knows, please hit me up on Twitter and let me know. All right. Sounds good. Okay, so Joshua, these three episodes, what's your favorite part? Um, I think that my favorite part is Luke telling Cottonmouth with fingers right in his face, keep my name out your mouth. Oh, that is real good. I really like that phrase. I don't know if that is originally an African-American phrase, but that's definitely where I first heard it was from African-American friends of mine. And Mm -hmm. I was like, love it. Adopting it instantly (laughs) if that's okay. (laughs) You know, because it says exactly what it means. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So so that's probably it. I mean, that's really Luke stepping into his neighborhood protector role, getting right in Cottonmouth's face and turning Cottonmouth's threat against him. Mm -hmm. The purposeful threat. That Cottonmouth created against him, he just turns it right back around. Is like, do not make me come back here. Yeah. Or yeah. I will take my name out your mouth. You know, <laughs> I I liked that a lot. What about yourself, Lonnie? Um. Well, okay. I, it's 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 it feels weird to say, but um, Claire going back and beating the shit out of the guy took her purse. <laughs> I was thinking I wanted uh, my no, bag back. No, it doesn't. Um, it feels like because it was such a small part of the overall, and there was a lot of great stuff. With Luke and I loved I loved Luke in that suit. That is also a real contender for my favorite part. <laughs> Luke was looking good in that suit. Um, there's a lot. Of, there I, was I a can't lot of argue. Stuff, but I just I I can't was most delighted by Claire beating the shit out of that guy. <laughs> well, I mean yeah. that's kind of the good news of things going off the rails is that when they go off the rails, Claire is very much in the train's engine. Claire just will beat be that there. Metaphor to death. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our November producers, Jonathan, Noel, Kristen, Alyssa, Erica, Shelly, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. No one can cage a man if he truly wants to be free. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. And other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or if you want beef, then bring the ruckus. Listen to Bayholes, ain't nothing to fuck with. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Luke Cage, Season 1, Episodes 6 through 8. Until then, yo, I plead the 8th. You mean the 5th. Yeah, yeah, I plead that shit.
This is later revealed to be Weapon 7. No, wait, that's not right. Mm -hmm. Sorry. That's four. Yeah, that's a four. four? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, Lonnie. (laughs) It's that kind of day. I was like, it's been a while since I've looked at Roman numerals, but I think that's a four. I don't even know where that came from. That's fucked up. Okay. 